0: On the book of uh, Exodus, we fu- actually more than Exodus. It's really the nation of Israel as they go from ex they go from uh, being uh, prisoners in Egypt to the promised land, and they've been led through by Moses. And it hasn't always been easy, and it hasn't always been smooth. It's been very rocky. And we're going to have another episode, and we're going to have one of these weird strange to us I guess is a better way to put it, uh, episodes as we look at the text this weekend and we're going to look at it we're going to say I wonder what that's all about. Maybe you've read it before the snake on the pole and it's one of those odd passages that you go I don't really know what that's all about it seems odd. So we're going to talk a little bit about that we're going to kind of finish our time uh, looking at the people in the Exodus series. I almost feel sometimes it's like when you're When you're digging for gold, you go to a certain layer, you hit the bedrock, and I think we've kind of hit the bedrock a few times, but there's a lot more that we could mine there, but we just uh, don't have the time. But uh, we're going to look at that passage, uh, and actually it's in uh, Numbers chapter 21. But I want to ask you a question as we get started this weekend. Um, Have you ever looked at an ambulance and seen that medical symbol? I think I have a picture of it. Uh, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, medical symbol. You've seen that, and you kind of, maybe wondered why is there the pole with a snake around it? What is that all about? Right? You've seen it probably, and uh, it's a very common symbol that uh, we. It's one of those symbols in in, in our our day to day life that we see, but we never really think about. Well, the the uh, the symbol is attributed to the Greeks, basically going back to the Greeks and the gods of the Greeks, and stuff like that. But I just want to tell you, the Greeks got that idea from the Old Testament because it goes way back thousands of years earlier to this episode that we're going to look at in Numbers chapter uh, 21. So let's look at that text and let's see where the origin of this snake around the pole came from and why it's kind of been attributed to healing. It's been attributed to healing. Uh, so i 'm going to read starting at verse four of numbers chapter 21, and we 'll pick up the text we 'll talk about it and draw some application from it. The people of Israel, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Eden uh, and Edom, excuse me, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, "Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness?" There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. What food are they talking about? talking about manna, right? We detest this, this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, here's where the, the snake on a pole comes in. Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So the people are complaining again, right? They complained about the water. They complained about the food. They complained about the manna. They complained about everything. And um, it's what's amazing is this. in this is God finally has had it and he sends these deadly vipers these deadly snakes and the people who are, are bitten and many of the people who are bitten immediately die they die very quickly um, and, it, and for for most of us when we we're reading through this we go yeah that seems kind of harsh god you know couldn't you have given you know cut them a little more slack why why is it so harsh well i think there's a couple of reasons one manna was a direct wonderful miraculous daily provision of god they were to go out every day and god every day for 40 years provided exactly what they needed it was perfectly nutritious it was a perfect food for them and they saw fit to complain I think there's many parents that sometimes when they've provided for their kids pretty well and their kids begin to complain about how horrible their life is and how terrible the food is you kind of go yeah I don't think you should be complaining right now do we do that sometimes most of us have had a great time with maybe family and Thanksgiving and things along those lines and hopefully that's a time that we're thankful because if you're in America you basically are doing better than 90% of the world as far as having food, having clean water, having good health, you know, care and things along those lines. So we truly are blessed, but yet many times we find ourselves complaining, right? So the bite of the serpents uh, may have poisoned their bodies, but what this shows us, what the text shows us is their minds, their hearts are poisoned already. There, there's a poison going on in their in their hearts, in their spirits. And um, by the way, this is very similar to what, what happened way back in the Garden of Eden. Remember in the Garden of Eden? What, what was that? It was the perfect place, and God places Adam and Eve in the garden. It's a perfect place for perfect people to have fellowship with God. He says, you can have it all. You can have it all except for that one thing. But everything wasn't good enough they had to have the one thing that God said that's the one thing you can't have everything was good enough uh, but they but wasn't good enough for them and so, so they longed for the one thing that they couldn't have now the serpent in the garden had convinced them that God was holding back and they had, were missing out they were dissatisfied with all that God had provided he had given them everything else they needed except the one thing that they thought they needed. They didn't really need it, but it's just one thing they thought they needed. Now, we, here's the point I want you to see. Just as Adam and Eve in the garden, just as the people in the wilderness, we today have been bitten. We all have that same snake venom within us. Uh, we've been, uh, we, and, and what I mean by that is nothing is good enough. We feel slighted. We feel overlooked. We feel forgotten by God. Oftentimes, we complain. We say we wish our lives were better. We feel like other people are doing better than us, and we're not often thankful. I mean, it, it's uh, it's sad when it comes down to the point that, you know, we get we get to a uh, Thanksgiving holiday where we're kind of oh, okay. I guess we should <laughs> we should give thanks. You know, it's Thanksgiving. It shouldn't have to be that. It shouldn't have to have a holiday uh, with a name thanks in it for us to give thanks. But, but the point is, we have an uncontrolled av- appetite, a thirst for more. We can't get enough. And uh, we're not even grateful for what He's already provided for us. Now, let me ask you a question. This is just between you and God in your heart. When was the last time you said, God, just, th-, you know, the last time you had a drink of water? Thank you for clean water. What was the last time? When you open your refrigerator, God, look at all, look at all that I have to eat. You you go to your cupboard, you go to your your closet, you say, what do I want to wear? Not if what do I have to wear, but what do I want to wear? When you lay down in your bed at night in a warm house and you say, God, thank you for a warm house uh, on a cold night, you know, I mean, all those things, uh, it's often hard for us uh, to come to a place where we are thankful for what he's already provided. The point I want you to see, and this is really application number one, that we've all been bitten by the snake and a daily demonstrates signs of spiritual poisoning. That, that That nothing is enough. That sometimes we're not thankful for what he's already provided. That we feel slighted. We feel like others are doing better than us and that bothers us. That whole attitude. And by the way, you think, well, only poor people or people who aren't doing well financially are the ones that struggle with that. No, everyone struggles with that. We all struggle with that. And unless there's a spiritual intervention in our lives, the sting of the serpent will keep us always longing for more, always feeling disappointed with life and the people around us. That's what it does because we, we feel disappointed by not only life, but the people around us because they don't give us what, what we feel they, we deserve. Whether it's recognition or affirmation or love or whatever it is. Unless there's a uh, spiritual intervention, we will long for that perfect life where we finally find happiness. The problem is, that perfect life, that perfect job, that perfect person, that perfect health, that perfect family doesn't exist. But we long for it. We feel slighted. We feel disappointed when we don't arrive at it. And even if we could attain it, we'll be disappointed. Because this has happened in your life, hasn't it? You've 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 dreamed of this perfect relationship, and you think this person that you're with is gonna be that perfect person, and then you finally get that relationship going and you realize, oh <laughs> you know, um, that's not what I thought it was gonna be. Or you say, Well, if I just get this job or car or house or whatever and then you get there and go oh it's just not it just doesn't measure up um you know people who have here here's the thing people have risen to the top of our culture and have arrived and have achieved greatness and have gotten what everyone is striving for in our american pop culture you know I've used this illustration before I'm going to use it again just bear with me please because i think it's so Dramatically stark, and it's right before our eyes. And it, it, it's uh, for those of you who have not seen the sixty-minute interview a number of years ago with Tom Brady. He had just won his his third Super Bowl. He's married to a supermodel. She makes millions of dollars. He makes millions of dollars. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks that's ever played football. And and he was interviewed in sixty minutes. And here's what he says there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, I can't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it, I'm 27, and what else is there for me? And the interviewer asks him, what's the answer? And he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Now, this is a person that has arrived, achieved, gotten to the top of the pile. And he says, I thought I was going to be different than this. But it just doesn't satisfy. Second application, your circumstances don't need to determine your happiness. See, I think the people of Israel thought that if they could just be in the promised land, their life would be great. They thought their circumstances, if they would be different, they would be happy. And we do the same thing. Here's what I've observed, though. We often pray for God to change our circumstances, don't we? We often say, God, I don't like the circumstances I'm in, change them. And, and we think that if he changes our circumstances, we'll be happy. And to a certain extent, I get that. I mean, if you're struggling in a health thing and you become healthier, your life is going to be better. If you're struggling uh, because of financial struggles and you, you, you do better financially, your life's going to be better. But the, the, the bottom line is we think that, that that will fix our lives, that we change our circumstances and it will fix our lives and it will make us happy. Here's what I've learned, though. People who pursue happiness, the right circumstances to happiness, they find, as you may have found, that the finish line keeps moving further and further away. Have you found that? That that the more you try to reach the finish line, the more it moves back. It's like, no, stop. Stay there so I can get you. But it keeps moving. The second thing I found is those who have reached it, like people like Tom Brady, um, they they find it underwhelming, inadequate, and disappointing. What was he saying? I'm disappointed. I thought it would be better than this. I've reached the finish line. I've reached the top of the mountain, the crescendo. And it just doesn't seem that great. I mean, it's good. That's not what I thought. You know, one of the things the Bible says about circumstances is Changing your circumstances doesn't make you happy. It won't make you happy. What you have to determine is whatever circumstance you're in, you have to find your joy, your happiness in something other than your circumstance. Because your circumstances kind of go like this, right? They ebb and they flow. So you have to decide that no matter what my circumstances are, I can find happiness and I can find joy in my life. That's what Paul did. He talks about that. He says, you know, I've learned to be content whatever circumstance I'm in. And that's the problem. We think that our circumstances dictate our happiness. What I'm suggesting is what the Bible says is, no, your joy, your happiness, when you find uh, the center of your joy and your happiness, it won't matter what your circumstances are. You'll have that steady joy, that steady, that ongoing, no matter what your circumstances do. Well, what's the cure for the snake bite? So the cure for the people was very simply this. He said to Moses, make a pole, put a snake up on a pole, raise it up, and tell the people, look at it. If they look at the snake on the pole, they will be cured, right? Pretty simple. So all the infected people had to do was look at the snake, and they would be healed. And everyone who looked at the snake was cured. Now, here's the question that many of you were thinking about as we go through this passage. Why a snake? a snake i remember reading this the first time i went through it and i'm going man he could have put anything on this but he puts a snake on the pole why a snake why does god tell moses to put a snake on the pole well i think there's a few reasons for that number one the people of israel would have seen the snake as evil and they did their culture saw snakes as evil and that went way back to the garden the garden of eden where the snake the serpent deceived the woman and the man and they basically went into sin because of the temptation of the serpent now they chose to do it but he was the pushing force so they would think back to the garden of eden the other thing is i don't believe or i believe moses and the people didn't really understand why god chose a snake um other than you know i mean they i don't think he understood that but they probably didn't care at the time You know what I mean? I, I mean if you're bitten and you're dying, it's not <laughs> if, if, if Moses says, just look to the snake on the pole, I don't think you're gonna be at that point begin to parse the answer and say, What a snake? I'm dying here, but I would love to know the answer, right? Maybe after you get healed, you go, Okay, so I'm healed now. Why this but at that point I don't think they were really that concerned about it. Now the snake did point back to the Garden of Eden where the serpent encouraged adam and eve to violate god's command now what was the sin of adam and eve really what was the sin of adam and eve they were discontent right they were discontent with everything that god what was the temptation of the the serpent god has held back on you the best thing that god could give you is that one tree that he won't give you and he knows this. He knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be just like God. So you should be discontent. You should understand that God doesn't want you to have the best. And so, what was the sin of the people? When we read the text, they're discontent. They say, well, we hate this, this food that you've given to us. We det-. They don't just say, we, we, we detest this food. We, we, we think this food is garbage. They were discontent with his provision, provision just like Adam and Eve, and they needed to look at the snake which symbolized their sin. See the snake symbolized their sin, their sin of the, the, the snake represented discontentment. That was the temptation in the garden, that was the temptation with the people. It was they were discontent. But but here's where we get the real meaning of the snake on the pole. And it happened thousands of years later. And it happened one night when a religious leader comes to Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, you know the most famous verse in the Bible, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. You know that verse. And you see the guy in the football game and he says, john three sixteen. you say what is that all about well that's the verse i just quoted to you from john's gospel ch- chapter 3 and nicodemus was in the dialogue with jesus where he said that verse but before jesus said that to a religious leader who comes to him at night because he's afraid that if he has a public meeting with jesus at this point because he's not really sure who jesus is it will affect his it will affect his role is being part of the the pharisaical party and he's concerned about that now as you read through the gospels you realize that nicodemus is a good guy and he becomes a follower of jesus but at this point he's kind of not sure where he's at and and jesus talks to him and he says this this is john chapter 3 verse 14 notice what it says just as moses Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So what Jesus is saying is very striking. Now, you think about it. Jesus could have gone back to multiple events in the Old Testament. He could have said, I'm like the lamb. I'm like this, I'm like this, I'm like this. But he goes to this event in the life of the the nation of Israel in Exodus. And he says, I'm like the snake on the pole. I would have never picked that, but Jesus did. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, I'm the snake on the pole. When people look to me, they will be healed and they will live forever. That's what he's saying to them. I'm the snake on the pole. When people look to me, they will be healed and they will live forever. That's essentially what he's saying. Now, what did he mean? How in the world can Jesus be the snake on the pole? Well... What do you think had to happen to this snake? wasn't a live snake on the pole. The snake had to die. But notice in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says this. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as Jesus hung on the cross until his very last breath, He asked God to forgive the very people who were killing him. We're going to make a reference to that in a minute. Here's the point I want you to see. On the cross, Jesus didn't just become sinful. He became sin. He became legally the serpent, evil and sin. He got what the serpent deserved. He got what sin deserved. He was cursed so that we could be forgiven. He was cursed so we'd be forgiven. Notice what Paul says in Galatians. Amazing passage. He says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. What did did God say to Moses? Get a pole. Put a snake on it. What did the Romans do? They put the Savior, the Messiah, on a pole. He became the snake. He took the curse. It's interesting too. If you go back to Genesis 3. Remember Genesis 3 in the garden. We talked about it. So Adam and Eve. They sin. God confronts them. And uh, he confronts Adam. And Adam says it's not my fault. It's this woman that you gave me. Right? Bad word. You know bad choice. Could have been good if he had taken ownership. But he didn't. He blame shifted. We do that today. Right? We, sh- we blame other people for our sin, for our decisions, but we can't. Uh, and then he goes to Eve and he says, well, Eve says, well, you know, uh, the serpent, it was the serpent. He tricked me, you know, and so then the serpent, you know, so after, after they, you know, Adam, you know, God says to Adam, because you've done this, this will happen. And he says, because Eve, you've done this, this will happen. And then he says to the serpent, because you've done this, this will happen. And what will happen? What does he say? And this is John uh, Genesis chapter 3, 15. He says, uh, God is saying to the serpent, I will put enmity uh, uh, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this is talking about the child of Eve that one day will be somehow by the serpent, which is talking about the devil, evil, okay? It's saying evil, the devil, is going to have a way of uh, doing some damage to one of your future children. We know that to be Jesus. Well, that happened on the cross, didn't it? But it also says that the son of Eve will crush the head of the serpent, the death blow. And what Jesus did on the cross is he dealt that head-crushing death blow to the serpent. Now, what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus was this. You receive the cure from the snake bite. You receive the cure from that venom that's running in your veins of discontentment when you become born again when you become born again you receive the cure of your snake bite by being born again now the question is how do you become born again how do you become born again now the average person would say okay what do I have to do I, okay I'll stop drinking I'll start going to church I'll stop sleeping around I'll stop uh, doing drugs I will try to clean up my vocabulary Or maybe get a better vocabulary. I'll I'll live a better life. Uh, I won't cheat on my taxes. And, And you see what's happening here? You're not born again. You're born again when you stop doing and you start looking. When you stop doing and you start looking. It's very likely that most... Think about this. So God says to Moses... To, he says, take a snake and put it on a pole and raise it up. And have the people look to the serpent on the pole, right? Now, you have to understand, these people are dying. They're laying there dying. They're not going to be able to get up and make a confession and bow down and go through a worship service and, and raise their hands up or even maybe even crawl over and touch the pole. All they can do, many of them, all they can do is they're probably laying down and all they can do is turn their heads and look to the pole that's all they can do they don't have the capacity to do anything you know that's the gospel that's what the gospel says the gospel says we've all sinned we all fall short of the glory of god there's nothing we can do to save ourselves we are dead dead to rights in our sins and we can't save ourselves it doesn't matter that you think going to church is a good, it is a good thing. Going, being part of a church community, that's a good thing. Being a, a good person, not sleeping around is, is, is a good thing. Living a moral life is a good thing. But you know what? That's not what saves you. It says, what did they say? Look at the pole and live. Look at the pole and live. It says, when they look at the pole, they will live. They will be healed. And that's what happened. Uh, it, and it's really important you understand that, um, And that's application point number four. It's not what you do, it's what he's already done. And that is such an important principle. There are so many people in this community that do not get this. And across America and around the world, they think it's what I do. If you ask most people, if you were to die today, would you go to be with God in heaven? They say, well, I hope so. They say, well... If God were at the gates of heaven and say, "Well, why should I let you into heaven? I prepared this beautiful place called heaven. Why should I let you in?" Most people would say, "Well, I go to church. I, 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 I try to be a good person. I give my time. I give my money—not much, but I give some. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm trying to do better. i I'm, i think I'm doing better than the average person. And more than half of the people on this planet think they're doing better than." most people which is impossible but math is a difficult subject for many people but here's the point it, you ask most people and that's the answer they're gonna, they're saying i'm trying i'm working i'm doing the best that i can and i hope it's good enough and what moses was told was tell these people who can't even barely move to look to the pole And they will find healing. Because they can't save themselves. There's nothing they can do. Now notice notice what uh, Titus says. This is Paul's letter to Titus. And he says this. This is Titus chapter 3 verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Notice what he says. Not because of righteous things we have done. But because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace we might be heirs having the hope of eternal life. Do you remember when Jesus was crucified? He was on the cross. hanging there and there's two other criminals on either side now as you read through the gospel accounts some of the gospel accounts they basically have both of the criminals are kind of you know joining the crowd so understand this jesus is hanging from a cross, and people are mocking him they're making fun of him they're saying hey if you're the son of god come on down call the angels come on let's see let's see you work a miracle now big guy you know and they're doing all that well the two criminals on either side kind of were doing the same thing. But it seems as you read the passages that one of the criminals had a change of heart. I want to read you that passage. This is Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and while you're at it, save us too. That would be great. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for, our, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus, he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Now what did this criminal do? He never went to church. <laughs> he never offered a sacrifice. He couldn't. He was like the people in Egypt laying on the ground. Or you know, the people out of Egypt in the wilderness. Laying on the ground. All he could do was look. And he looked. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing him looking at Jesus right now. And he's saying, Jesus, you're my only hope. I look to you. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be healed. Today you'll be forgiven. Today you'll you'll begin to live forever. Because you look to me by faith. That's how it comes. By faith. He only looked to Jesus and he found salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. He called on the Lord. So I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've called upon the Lord? Where you've looked to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm going to stop trying to save myself. I'm going to, try, to stop trying to do enough. I'm going to st- stop trying to be a good enough person to be acceptable to you. I'm going to stop trying to clean my life up or think that I have to clean my life up before I come to you. I'm going to come with all my garbage, with all my baggage, with all my sin, realizing that I am absolutely in a heap of trouble and I am infected and I've been bitten and I and I'm... I, I, I'm not grateful, and, and I, I need help, and you're my only hope. And I'm like the criminal uh, uh, next to you, and right now I'm looking to you because you're my only hope, and I'm asking you to come into my life and to save my soul and to give me life. You gave your life for me, now I give my life to you. Have you ever done that? Because the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What did, what did the criminal do on the cross when he was hanging on the cross, he, he called on the Lord. He called on Jesus. And Jesus, what did he say to him? Oh, I wish you had gone to church more. Oh, I wish you had been a better person. I wish you had been a better better life. I wish you had... No, he didn't say that. He says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today, you're going to be more alive than you've ever been alive before. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's a gift I'm giving to you today. Do you have that gift? Have you called upon the Lord? If not, why not? Why not? If not today, when? (laughs) Why not receive the greatest gift that God could ever give? He's already given it, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus that day, you know when Moses lifted up the snake on the pole? That's going to be me. And when people look to me, they will find salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Have you done that? That's the lesson of the snake in the wilderness let's pray father help us to understand that lesson help us help us to apply it to our lives and help us to understand that for some of us father it means that we need to call upon you and realize that your son is the only way to you that he is the one who took evil and sin and pain and guilt He took our sin on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We thank you, Father, that he willingly did this for us. For those of us, Father, who probably uh, have done this a while ago, maybe many years ago, it's easy for us to become discontent. It's easy for us to fall into the false promises of our pop culture And to think that our circumstances are what make us happy and give us joy and give us peace. In reality, Father, you're the only one that can give us that. Help us to overcome the poison in our souls. And allow the gospel truth, the gospel light to heal us. Day by day, week by week, and month by month. So that no matter what circumstances come into our lives we can rise above our circumstances because we have the joy of the Lord and because we're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of of our faith. For that, we give you thanks and we thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.